Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode six of the longest running show in the history of Meerkat. We're calling it Meerkat Monday, but that's a bit of a misnomer because it also simulcasts on Periscope, the rival site, and very exciting news, this week we are debuting the history. first ever Meerkat slash Periscope Monday podcast. So if you are listening to the podcast, if you don't know what we do here, before we get started, I just want to fill you in. Basic idea is come down to my local bar on a Monday night. We've got the best bartender uh, in the East Village or uh, Lower East Side area. Uh, Ian, he plays great Motown music. You might hear that in the background. you got Smokey Robinson right now. Uh, we drink. We have a special guest every week. We talk about whatever you want us to talk about. So if you're watching on Meerkat, if you're watching on Periscope, send your comments, send your questions, send your observations. And our moderator here, Jeff, will feed us questions throughout the night. We'll talk about whatever you want. Uh, and I'm pleased now, with all that out of the way, to welcome this week's special guest. She is the editor-at-large with Salon. She is an MSNBC contributor. She is a San Francisco Giants fan, Joan Walsh. Welcome. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. I feel like we're making history here tonight with the podcast, so it's, I'm really excited. It's very exciting, and I have to warn you, I mean, this is, this is a little different than TV because we get the drink on the air. Right. And I can't always handle my liquor that well, so the second... I know, half, Steve, I know. We've, <laughs> we've, been, we've gone out before. So I might get a little weepy. That's yeah. all I'm trying to tell I, you. I know. It's fine. I'm ready. 30 minutes in, I share my pain from my childhood, and <laughs> just please be here for me. That's, that's I'm all I'm always here for you, Steve. Well, so let, let's get started um, as the questions start to come in. Um, I like to think, we like to talk politics, we like to talk current events, but we have people here who I, I think the audience is just interested in learning a little bit more about. So tell us, you are originally from New York. Yes, You're I am. back in New York right now, but you lived in San Francisco for a while. For almost so, 30 years. So what's the, what's the best thing about San Francisco and what's the best thing about New York? Oh, the best thing about San Francisco is just the natural beauty and 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 the people. Um, although the tech revolution, I hate to be a cliche, but you know it's been it's been a rough transition for the city. Um, the best thing about New York is the people and the density. Like the very thing that scares people away from New York is what really drew me back. I I love the density. I love the diversity. I love the fact that you're sharing your story you know on the subway with all these amazing different people i never found new yorkers snobby or or snotty or difficult i've always found new yorkers the upper east side. It, i i well that's a sorry lot. upper east side sorry upper east side no i live i live on the upper west side which you know is lovely but like yeah i just think new yorkers we're all in it together and that's what i love about new york the weather is an adventure if you really pay attention to the people around you they're mostly there for you if you need them so that's what, been my experience okay now we get to the fun part what is the worst part of new york and the worst part of san francisco the density is the worst part yeah. <laughs> um you know the garbage okay let's just be honest the garbage is the worst part of new york um gla broken glass is a bad is bad i mean i think central park is the most amazing park in the world i think that you know i have a dog sadie a lot of people wanted me to bring sadie steve but apparently your bar has a no well, what, what, kind of, what kind of dog is this she's a mini labradoodle don't laugh oh, she's a mini mini labradoodle that's a, a dog i've never heard Really? Labrador. Where have you been? Labrador is the thing I've heard. Labrador of, right? Retriever Poodle Mix, hypoallergenic. I have asthma, so does my daughter. Labradoodle. Okay. Oh yeah, Steve. So, uh, they're getting a few messages, or people are having a hard time understanding uh, or hearing you right now. I think maybe. Oh. Uh, I don't know if you're uh, addressing the microphones closely, and they're having a hard time. Well, the microphone is not connecting. Yeah. See, right. So There's we've got to be addressing. We should be addressing the uh, right. the iPhones. The microphone yeah. should pick this up. Right. And then. So we we're have to learning project. as we go along, folks. As Thanks, again, folks. Is, Thanks. Our, how's our audience count, by the way? Uh, you got 67 people oh, here good. now. You have, you've had 94 title, uh, total so far. And, and, and Meerkat's updated. It says right now that you're mobbing, which I, I think means we're popular. popular Whoa. Right okay, me, well, we'll try to talk louder. Here's the other thing I'm louder. going to do. I'm going to do, uh, I'm gonna be writing updates on Twitter throughout the night. So right wow. now I'm going to say that I'm talking with, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, use your symbol thing here. So should I go else. on with like explaining what a Labradoodle is or should we move on from that? L-A-B-R-A-D. Oh, get off. Get off the. Yeah, get off the. Another problem here. So Adam is our producer by day but uh, of, my, of the Up TV show but at night he's a meerkat cameraman and we have to get off the 
wireless kit. So I'm talking to Joe Walsh about lab. How do you spell it? L-A-B-R-A-D-O-O-D-L-E. It's ridiculous, and you just shame me. Labradoodle. Join us. And then let's see if this works. So tweet. And we get the spinning circle. Anyway. They are precious little dogs. I only have one because I have very bad asthma, and so does my daughter. But now that I have one, they're the greatest dogs in the world. See, because I, I grew up, I was in a, uh, a cat family. And, and it, it's funny how it happened, because when I was a kid, the doctor told me you know, I was having all these reactions to things. That you're allergic to cats. Right. So my mom got four of them. So I grew up with... So we are going to talk about your childhood Yeah, pain, we're getting into it early. We're, kinda... we're, we're getting into it early. No, so we had like... I actually liked... One of them was incredibly mean. One of them... One was not just not too smart and got hit by a car after a month. Sorry. Another one was, uh, was, was, was always like killing mice, which I didn't like. But there was one that I really liked and related to. So I, I ended up kind of liking the cats. Um, but I would never get... Like, I, I could... My eyes would get so puffy and so watery. I could never do the... You know, dogs, cats, uh, I couldn't do it. You anymore. could have a Labradoodle. I'm not saying you should have a Labradoodle, but they are, they, they are it's a the cleanup. Bread. It's the cleanup. You know, that kept me for about 10 years. A friend of mine, Rafiki, if you're out there, said to me, you are going to be responsible for picking up that dog's poop, every single poop that it's dog true, has, right? two or three times a day for its entire life. Do you get, are tired? You ready? Do you get tired of that? I do. You know, but you, you get used to it too. It's not, you know, it's not as gross as it, it used to be. But yeah. Fish. It's a, fish would be a thing I could, I could deal with. I could have goldfish or, you know. Yeah. You don't clean up after them. Well, you know, yes you do. They, you've got to clean the fish tank. I know, it's oh, not yeah. the same. Yeah. No, you're not carrying around. I mean, it's really classy <laughs> to be carrying around a little bag of poop when you you, know, you run into a friend or, or you know, I'll run into somebody who recognizes me from MSNBC and it's like, oh, hi, I can't shake your hand because I'm holding poop. Because I have dog poop. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> people That might be that. one of the worst things about New York. You, have to, you can't just let it but sit there. But that's true in San Francisco, too. True, but if it, you're... If you have a big backyard, if I lived on a ranch, I probably wouldn't be carrying so much dog poop. It could be a way for a city to distinguish itself that's trying to get some of those, like, you know, we're a dog poop friendly city. No, uh, you know, no, 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 that would be wrong. What uh, What are they asking uh, uh, Jeff? Let's see if this works. Try to. This is sure. Jeff, by the way. He's our great moderator. And we're going to get his microphone over here for the podcast. So there was a question about how long you think it's going to take for the Republican field to consolidate down to four or five serious candidates. What's going on? So they want to know when there's going to be four or five serious candidates in the Republican. So basically what they're asking is, when is it going to get down to Pataki and Ehrlich? And no. Uh, well, I don't know. What do you, I mean, the news today is, uh, we say today if you're watching on the podcast, the news this week is that Ben Carson... Mike Huckabee, Carly Fiorina. So you got three new names in. You already right. had Rand Paul. You already got Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush. So when's it gonna? When are we really gonna be able to make sense of this field? I mean, it's pretty amazing if you think back on the last two cycles how quickly people do drop out after you know Iowa, New Hampshire. The the first three or four primary and, and caucus states really do winnow the field. Of, of, a huge amount. People who stake their hope, a bunch of people are going to stake their hopes on Iowa. The moderates will stake their, the so-called moderates, they're not moderate, but will stake their hopes on New Hampshire. That Those two states alone do a lot. I don't know if that's going to get us down to four or five people, but that'll probably get us down from 24 to eight. I'll be on record for that. I See, my theory is it's already almost, I think there's almost like an, an, an illusion of a, of a crowded race. Like, there's, there's space on the stage for, you know, 12 candidates or however many actually run. But I already look at it, and I, I, I right. feel like, no, Ben Carson's not going right. to really come close. I think Carly is not going to come close. I feel like, in my mind, Walker, Rubio, Bush, Kasich. I think they're the only ones that really no Rand, have a shot No at it. Rand Paul. I don't, think, Rand, I I don't think, think he has a shot at it, but I think he might have a shot at going deeper into the primary season than other people. True. I, I, the thing with Rand Paul that I've been trying to like, it, I look back at his dad, and his dad was good for you know, 20, 22% in every, in every contest, no matter right. what. And after a while, you kind of realize, well, well, it doesn't, you know, it, it matters, but it doesn't matter. He's right. never going to get above that. So my question with Rand Paul has always been, is he doing something different than his dad to get above that? And, and he's done some interesting things, but I also feel like, the ISIS has changed the culture of the Republican Party so much that that window that was there right. for non-interventionists, you know, for Rand Paul, I think it's gone now, and I think he's he's not playing on 
from the friendly turf he, he had a couple years ago. There's really no friendly turf for him on foreign policy in the Republican Party. There, there's a tiny bit of friendly turf in, on the Democratic side, to be honest, but he loses that turf with his stands on abortion and poverty and, and you know, he's a really conventional, if not extremist, Republican in all these other ways. For all that he talks about wanting to, you know, make inroads with the African-American community, he's not going to do that. Um, he'd have to be much more aggressive on the issues of mass incarceration and criminal justice. He says the right things periodically. He doesn't do very much. So, so you're right. I think you're right. I, you know, I'm sad that that space has been closed off because I think the country needs that debate. Uh, but the Republican Party, I mean, there's just so much money. So much money will be spent to defeat Rand Paul that, that you're probably right. I'm probably giving him too much credit that he's going to persist past, you know, the early primaries. Well, and of course, the other thing with Rand Paul is he has that, that issue of having to run for re-election right. in Kentucky. So, how so soon? he's going to have to make a decision, yes. I, think, I think, pretty fast. And um, not be damaged by whatever the national and that's verdict the other is. Thing, right. If it looks like if you're getting embarrassed, then suddenly you look weak. And then right. You know, let me ask you this. Uh, the other, the Republican side, on the Democratic side, news in the last week. So Bernie Sanders yep. uh, gets in the race, says he's willing to, it's unclear if he actually has to register as a Democrat to do this, but he's saying, if I need to, I will. So he he's, will. He's in the race. Um, he raised a million, two million bucks the million, first day he was in. So I mean, yeah. uh, Hillary can call Wall Street and raise a trillion overnight or whatever. But but okay, he's got. I mean, he'll, he'll be able to travel the country. What do you what do you think of Bernie Sanders? What's the what is the best case scenario if you're looking at Bernie Sanders from his standpoint? What's the best thing he gets out of this? I think he really gets a huge hearing for his ideas about economic justice, and you know, I think. He shows, like, you know, the idea that, that, that Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama are socialists. Now we have a real socialist in the race, so that's good for the whole country. Um, he also does that, show, does that Does that help? So the, from the Democratic Party standpoint, to, to now the socialist in Congress is saying, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I want to be the Democratic nominee. Does, well, that, does that hurt them at all? Or is that, you know? I, I don't think so. I, I really don't. And I think, I think that, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how he keeps his cool. He can be, he's not, exa he's not totally cuddly. Like, I want him to be, like, cuddly Bernie Sanders, but he's not. And so, you know, he could go off in a debate and, you know, whatever, turn people off. But I basically think he's going to win a lot of people over, and he's going to force us to unpack the issues of, how did the government help build the middle class in you know from the 1940s to the 1970s? And then what happened? What did government do to kind of pull back that promise? And what can we do to restore it? And Hillary Clinton, she's familiar with those arguments. She probably made some of them earlier in her career. I think it's going to be an interesting conversation between the two of them. But I'm so fascinated by the fact that they, the media, us, we, you know, People won't take him seriously unless he smacks her. That, that's what happened. Martin O'Malley had a moment. We can talk about he's having another moment, not yeah. as good. But, you know, where people, I talked to him, a bunch of people talked to him. The Clinton email thing came out. Most of the media thought that was going to bring her down. Duh, it didn't. We, most of us, I didn't. I knew it wouldn't. But anyway, when he would not hit her, figuratively, people walked away. And now Bernie Sanders is being asked to do the same thing. If you don't weigh in, and say what a horrible capitalist tool she is, you're not really running a serious campaign. So it, it, there's a lot of... Yeah, no, there, there is that, that pressure for the, for the theatrics. Well, Jeff, I think we have we have some more yeah, stuff coming in. Yeah, a, a lot of good questions. Um, so there are a couple about the timing of the conventions, whether the Republican convention being earlier in the summer uh, is going to be good for them. Uh, what about the Democrats having the convention in Cleveland if they should have picked somewhere that wasn't a Democratic stronghold like Cleveland? Uh, there's a question about the effect of the Hillary. I'm throwing out a yeah, yeah, no, this question is about the effect of the Hillary uh, book and any thoughts on that. Uh, who's the GOP candidate most likely to get his reputation really scuffed up? Oh, that's a good question. I don't have an answer, but that's a good question. Well, yeah. Well, let's let's take a couple of those. So, so the first question, and I'm gonna as I talk, I'm gonna experiment and try to type while I talk. The first question there that, that seemed interesting is uh, which GOP candidate has that says gas has the most to lose uh, has the most to lose by fairing. 
poorly. By right? a, poor, a poor showing. I mean, I think you brought it up earlier. Rand Paul, if he doesn't win, is going to run for re-election. He has a lot to lose. I mean, you know, Rick Perry, Mike Huckabee, if, if Santorum gets in. Carly Fiorina. Carly Fiorina has nothing to lose. She lost her job. She has a lot to gain. She has she's only right? she has only upside. But she's doing that. She's doing the party. I think a, a huge favor here. It is. It'd be interesting to me if there was any. I don't think there's any. This is a plot or anything. But I, I think there's a lot of winking going on here, where the Republican Party recognizes that they're going to have 14 candidates on stage. Right. Attacking, shredding, denouncing Hillary Clinton. Right. They want a woman up there doing it too. Right. And Carly Fiorina recognizes that, and so she can come in with really, let's say it, like suspect credentials. You don't lose a Senate race by 16 points or whatever it was, and then and then say you got you really her. should run for president. Right. You don't usually get treated that seriously, but I think they will make a place for her because they want her on the stage. And I think what that means is if she does that for a year, I don't know if she's a running mate or anything, but if she's it not going to be a running mate. Cabinet secretary, you know, I mean, she, it'll help her profile in the party. I guess, except that she may well be exposed for having zero ideas. And, you know, the idea that she can stand up there and smack Hillary and we're going to enjoy this girl-on-girl -girl action, some people will. But she's not going to hurt her with women voters because, I mean, conservative women voters, Republican women voters might well, you know, I saw a press release today from the Independent Women's Forum and they applauded her. That's great. But those swing voter women are not going to go for Carly Fiorina. She is against abortion. She wants to defund Planned Parenthood. She's against the Affordable Care Act. She says nothing that appeals to mainstream independent swing voter women, let alone Democrats. So I don't know. I, I think they're going to act as though, I mean, I think it's so fascinating because it, honestly, it's the Republican Party right now that is playing identity politics. That used to be like the game of the Democrats, but Republicans are playing identity politics. We've got a woman. We've got Ben Carson, an African-American. We've got two Cuban-Americans who don't support comprehensive immigration reform. This is the way we're going to solve our problems, and they don't accept the fact that they have a problem with women and African Americans and Latinos because of their policies, not only because they're represented by mainly white men. You know, as I'm thinking about this, who I think has the most to lose on the Republican side, I think it's the one right in front of us. I think it's Jeb Bush. And I think it's because you come into this race as as a Bush. Your dad was president. Your brother was president. You're supposed to be a frontrunner. I don't think he's going to get the nomination. And if this guy falls flat on his face, that's... I can't think of a bigger drop off from expectation to reality. If he, if he, like I think, I think he's going to come in sixth or something in Iowa. Uh, maybe he can win New Hampshire. I don't know. Right. I, but I, this is, I don't think this party is going to nominate Jeb Bush. And I, I don't know. I think that looks worse than I'm trying to think. If Ted Cruz loses, well, it's kind of playing with house money. You know, right. Grandpa was. But Jeb Bush. But I mean, Jeb Bush is literally playing with house money. I mean, you know, he's got a fortune. Well. <laughs> His, he's established himself. He didn't, he, he said he didn't want, he, you know, he really acted, he literally said in 2012 that, like, he probably missed his moment. Like, that might have been his moment. He looked completely, I was actually, frankly, surprised when he decided to run. I really, if you'd asked me to bet, I would have bet against him and running. The, and the reason I think he, the reason I think he ended up running was, because I've had this conversation with a lot of people in the last few days where it's like, we're talking about Chris Christie and did the bridge thing, you know, kill off his chances. And a lot of people say, well, he was, he, he wasn't going to win anyway. It didn't, it didn't really matter. I look at it the opposite way. I, I think I, I'm a lot more bullish on what Christie would have been absent the bridge thing. And I think Bush getting in was a product of Christie falling Right. Apart. Oh, absolutely. And I don't. I think if, if there wasn't for the bridge, there's no opening for Bush. And Bush doesn't run. I think he, doesn't I think run, he just he looked stays. up and reassessed and said, you know what, there is an opening. Why don't I grab Let it? Let me but, do this thing. But that know? to me says he doesn't really have much to lose. I mean, yes, it'll be embarrassing. But he's the guy, he's, you know, he's already this guy who the family wanted to be president, but he lost his first race for governor. So he's constantly it's under the, it's, the great it's the great accident of history, isn't yeah. it? George W. and Jeb both running in 94. Jeb's supposed to win, then become the next president. And he George loses. W. is supposed to lose to Ann Richards. And the opposite happens. Right. And history is, is changed. I mean, global history may be changed. Really? I mean, I don't know. He probably would have gotten us into that stupid <laughs> war, too. But, you know, who knows? 
who knows? We really, we really can't know. But I, I just can't feel like he loses so much, so much by losing. It will be, it will be a blow. But he's already had so many political blows in terms of what was expected of him. I, I, yeah, I just feel, I feel he got into this thing expecting maybe I mean, Hillary, maybe I don't. But right. you know, they're gonna shock and awe thing, and we're hearing yes. about. And, and the shock, the shock is on Bush's part right now. I think. Let's check in with uh, our buddy Jeff here and see what else we got. Hi, going Jeff. There, there were some questions earlier. Some people were asking the two of you to speak about Mad Men. I don't know if that's a past thing. <laughs> talked about that or written about that, but then some people said, no, stick to politics. We don't want to hear Mad Men. So, do Mad Men. Uh, well, yeah. well, we'll do Mad Men, but here's, the, here's my catch. Um, as right. of tonight, as we take this for the podcast to do like I have not seen Sunday's episode oh oh oh, oh yeah we, I don't know if we can talk about and it I, 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 it's the worst thing in the world I've, just because this is the second straight week this happened to me and I'm usually really good about watching in life the worst thing in the world is navigating Twitter on a Monday when you have not watched Mad Men and trying to it, stay it away from spoilers it comes up at random times I know. people you wouldn't expect and I, I'll read like the first three words of their tweet, and I'll see shocking thing about Jonah. Not you, Jonah. Yeah, you know, and I, okay. Yeah, there's now a I, lot of Jonah. Now I know there's something big with Jonah, and I hate that. But you, you just you watch the episode, then and you're like, I don't know what it is, but I know something. What big do you think it is, Joan? Here, I'll, I'll I'll take the lead. What do you think it is? I think she. Um, so the last thing I saw, the McCann merger that they, they they've won. You're. I think she's getting left out in that, and she tries to make some kind of maneuver to yeah. get what the others are getting and it blows up. That's what I so don't it, tell me, don't tell me. Right. Don't. It's not it's not that exactly, but the, you know, you're on the right track. It, it can't end well for Joan. Do you I do mean you, do you like how, I mean, I have heard mixed things. I, I'm a big fan of the show, watch it all the way through. It, what are we doing for the finale? We have to have a Mad Men watching party because I can't watch it alone. No, let's do it. Okay. Let's let's organize something. We're, there's two left after Yeah. Uh, there's two left. Is the last one like two hours or is it just another? I don't know. I haven't looked into that, but it's May 17th. If people out there have suggestions about where we should watch Mad Men, I'm I'm up for it. I, yeah, no, I sign me up. Wait, what's that, Casey? Oh, she's recommending me my house, my apartment. Here's the problem. I've complained about my neighbors being too loud on, on both sides of me, so I can't... We'll figure it out. We'll, we won't decide. That's not going to be decided here, but it He doesn't it's, want to have house parties because his neighbors are so loud. He feels like he would lose the moral high ground. Wow. Uh, that so. is so... That's such an insight into Steve Kornacki's character, don't well, you can, think? But can I, let me, when I say loud, let me just give you a, a, a taste of what... Uh, Actually, I'm going to put this into talking about Uh-oh. my loud neighbors. Hope they're not and watching. Now, and Jonah, I'm going to include you now with, I think this is how we build audience. So, <laughs> here's, here's my story about now my neighbors. Now with nudity. Couple, um, couple weeks ago, three in the morning on a Saturday. Now, my, my wake up is about 4.30. Three in the morning. Oh, God, right. I'm woken up because there is like... There's a body being thrown into the wall. That's that's that, never that good. Could having it could fun. be having fun. I yeah. don't know. But it could no. be consensual body throwing. It's then it's like the floor and crashing and glass and then there's a, a, a female voice shouting, "Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this?" And now I'm like, "Is this a domestic Do I call incident? The... Do I, is this where I call the cops? I, where's the line between, you know, it's none of my business versus there's a domestic incident? So I don't know. It spills into the hallway." I just hear lots of scuffling or whatever. Then I hear the door slam, and there's one person stuck in the hallway. They're banging on the door. It goes on for like 10 minutes. I'm like, all right, I got to go check this out. And I, I'm opening the door expecting there's going to be a girl out there, and I'm going to have to, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I open the door. No, it's a guy. No shirt on. Got blood coming down the side of his face. Bloodshot eyes. It just looks at me, and, I just, and he's suddenly really apologetic. And I'm like, you know, do you need the, do you need the ambulance? Do you need the, do you need the police? No, no, no. He tells me, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna go to sleep right here. We'll be quiet from now on. So I think it was two guys. I think it was he and like two guys fighting. I think she was just. So I, I, I'm pretty sure it was not a. But it was a. Right. It's. A, I don't know. I mean, that was my only in New York moment to, to experience that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, I. You know. I guess maybe we won't watch Mad Men at your house. No. But I guess I, I'm open to. I might host something. But we'll, we'll watch see. it somewhere. Here's here's my other here's my other Mad Men thought. Um, I love. So it started in 1960, they're in 1970 so right now. So amazing. And this, the, but the other, my other thought is, so I can't wait till the year 2027, because by the same math, in, in 2027, they'll start the Mad Men of the 1980s. Yeah. And I think that's going to be an awesome show. Yeah, I, I hope they do it. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I could talk about this forever, and I'm sure that's not really what our constituency wants. But I, I also, I, I feel like, you know, Don Draper is such a flawed central character. He's, but he's so compelling, and he's sympathetic because he's such an asshole. Can we curse on Meerkat? Sure. Okay. To the women in his personal life, but he's so amazing to the women in his professional life. And so it's just real. There's this disconnect. As an outsider, he understands that the outsiders, the women are outsiders, and he has this affinity, you know, going back to visiting Peggy in the hospital when she had the baby. But he treats the women he loves or allegedly loves so poorly. It's really, I, yeah, I, I might... I might have to write about it. So, but. I mean, somebody, somebody said, uh, one of the actors, I think, was talking about the show. He said the, the, the thing that they love about the show is that there's only so much growth for all the characters. Yeah. They always end it's up... It's not fake. It's not like no, fake epiphanies and right. like all that. Yeah. I mean, you think about your own life. You think about... I mean, it's, it's kind of true, isn't it? Like, I find myself, like... <laughs> I find myself falling back on habits that were established in like fifth grade right uh, you know about like putting things off and like cutting corners it just like I noticed tendencies that, that I was as a child I knew they were you're supposed to do better than this but I, I still do them I'm, right. I'm still the one who doesn't do the homework at night and it comes in my producer Casey's here here's a perfect Casey example Casey would like to she share. wants me reading the scripts for our Saturday morning show on Friday it'd be 6.30 on Friday and she's like we got all the scripts right here 11 Isn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful if she's you like, read them all no and I'm like Casey that's crazy I can do it I come in at 6.30 in the morning and I zip through as many as I can drive her crazy but that's I was doing that in elementary school I, you know so this is not really a character flaw this is not you know Don Draper. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, I don't mean to equate it with right. This but I do think it, as people get older, <laughs> womanizing. Right. But no, definitely not. I've definitely never been guilty of womanizing. I can definitely say that. not. <laughs> a pastry of plate suggests that Don Draper isn't flawed. It's just who he is. Um, Ooh, that's deep. deep. Yeah, uh, that's what I like about it. Somebody else says the Americans is like an '80s version of, of Mad Men. I haven't seen it. You watch it? I yes. haven't seen it. Oh, I don't watch it. But great point. Whoever said the Americans is the '80s version of Mad Men? That's actually brilliant and, and very true. Um, I love the show. Um, it's, I've it's, heard that. It's early '80s, but they, they get. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird thing because I watch it and I really I feel like I'm watching something that was actually filmed in 1983. They get the texture of the '80s. That's how perfectly. I feel. That's how I felt about Mad Men because I'm like. Bobby's age. I'm not Sa Sally's age, but like I really feel like I'm seeing my parents drinking too much, and you know I don't know that people dr drank during the day that way, but you know that there's something. It gets something so right, so that's very cool. I'll have to start watching that. Um, we've got we've got napkins blowing around people. If you're wondering what's air. going on, open we got air. Smokey Robinson in the background. It doesn't get better than this, and we're talking Mad Men. But do they want us to go back to politics? Well, what else, what else or? We got? What's coming in on the, on the why don't Kettle One Martini with a twist. That's my classy drink of choice. How are you doing on that? We can we can freshen um, that up. I'm probably only gonna have one, and then I'll switch to something else because you know martinis and um, meerkat. I don't know. I haven't tested it yet. Martinis and meerkat. That could have been the name of the show. I thought I was maybe by your description of what goes on in your building. I, I find it a pretty yeah. common like living in downtown uh, I kind of thing. Having lived in the neighborhood for a while, I feel like uh, Saturday night doesn't really exist in Canada unless you have a loud screaming fight going on outside your window. Wow. This, this isn't the Upper West Side joke. No, it's not. I mean, I literally wake up. Sometimes I am awakened by the little boy next door singing his ABCs. That is the life on the Upper West Side. Does he have a good voice or is it? He's adorable. Really He's really, okay. There are a lot of a lot of kids, a lot of dogs in my building. So. Well, I wouldn't. I, kids and dogs. I, I don't know. Yeah, you probably I, couldn't live I there. I feel like it's my responsibility to eventually have a family of some sort, but I'd be a terrible father. Really? See, I'd be a worse. You have no idea. Yeah, I think me, 
Start with goldfish. <laughs> goldfish. Maybe then get a labradoodle since you're allergic. I'm having an allergy attack. Excuse me. See, asked, asked this of you before, but yes. Joe, Joe, any good recent books or movies that you'd like to talk about? Um, I am currently, okay, so I'm currently reading, um, Galleys by two friends, but they're both great and they compete for my time. Um, can I, I think I know what one of those is. Is it our former co- our colleague at, at Salon? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just Ooh. read... Sarah Heppola. She didn't send it to me. That oh, it's it's so Sarah Heppola. Sarah Heppola, tweet at her because that is very cold. I knew her I'm before gonna, you yes. knew her. I'm going to uh, write a note here then. At Joe. So Sarah Heppola, for those who don't know, is the uh, personal essays editor at Salon. And Salon, known for many things, has many great things, but I, I think, honestly, got one of the best things about Salon is always these, these incredibly well-written, first of all, unique. I mean, the, the stories you, you couldn't even dream up. Um, Real-life stories. Um, we run you know, several essays a week, and it's Sarah Heppola, who's the editor who goes out. I don't know how she finds these people. I think she has a reputation now. As, this is she the does. person you want to work with she and does. have a unique story. And she is... You know, I wrote a, I, I wrote a, 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 a personal essay for Salon a few years ago, well, you know, uh, a little revealing, if you... If you Google me, you'll know what I'm talking about. But I, I worked on it with her, and I, I mean, the thing that I walked away with from that experience was like, I mean, there's editors who you just you send the thing to them, they oh, yeah, take this paragraph out, of it. right? I mean, she works with you on it. With what I you mean, want, what you want to say, what are you trying to say? Your voice, not her voice. She's amazing, but I don't really like her very much because you got the galley, <laughs> and I didn't. But no, I, um, <laughs> it's Ari Berman's uh, Give Us the Ballot uh-huh. and Gary Rivlin's Katrina After the Storm. Tell, tell us about the Ari Berman one. That, that book is on my desk, too. So what's that about? Well, it's really about the history of the voting rights movement going back going back before the Voting Rights Act, going, going back to Selma and somewhat before, uh, up into the present. And it really does a great job. I mean, we're, we're living this year in all these 50th anniversaries, including Selma, now we're going to go to the history, the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act. Then we're going to, five days later, go to the, his, to the 50th anniversary of Watts. And he kind of brings together back, white backlash politics, which you and I have talked a lot about, um, side by side with that movement, and then the movement to undo the Voting Rights Act, which culminated last year. So, uh, yeah, so the, those are the things. It's interesting you talk about the, the white backlash, and, and that's something in the in the news this week is the bigger context of Baltimore. Yes. In the bigger context of a lot of people making the point, you know, that there was the cover of Time yeah. uh, in the last week was a picture of Baltimore from their riots in 1968 and saying 1968, 2015, what's, what's really changed? And you think about it, in the 60s, late 60s, Baltimore, Watts, Newark, Detroit. I mean, this was a thing Milwaukee, big cities across the country. Yes. And, the, and this is something Everywhere. you've written a lot about is the effect that either living that actually the sort of a white working class living that in the city or watching that right and the effect that had in American politics for the next generation or two right it reshaped our politics and created the modern conservative movement the modern Republican Party and, and also the modern Democratic Party I mean I have a, a piece not to do like self-promotion but why not I have a piece coming out tomorrow in salon that's the called the era of quote of Bill Clinton liberalism is over and what comes next and you know and can someone named Clinton pioneer what comes next and I you know I, I like Hillary so I'm not saying no but it's it's complicated and I think what, what, what is Bill Clinton liberalism how would you define that I would say that Bill Clinton liberalism is trying to take the rough racist edges off the Republican critique of the great society and and saying you know what, maybe we did get too soft on crime. You know what, maybe we did get too pro-welfare. Maybe we did get too pro-government, saying the era of big government is over. Um, picking a fight with Sister Solja to say, you know, which, which actually, and I make a lot of this, happened after the Los Angeles riots. I mean, Sister Solja defended the riots, or the, the uprising, and Bill Clinton took that opportunity to like trash her in front of and, and Jesse, Jesse Jackson. And that was the, that was the, that was the big It was a Jesse Jackson moment. That was not it, a right. Because it was Jesse moment. Jackson had run for president twice and there was the, the, the Clinton faction or the DLC right. back then. They 
they wanted to redefine the Democratic Party away from Jesse exactly. Jackson. And, that was and say it's safe, it's safe for white people, for the white working class to come back to the Democratic Party, which didn't entirely work, but it worked some. You know, he definitely got a, a larger percentage of the white working class than Mondale or Dukakis, and then he got a larger percentage still in, in 96. But and yet he was able to, I mean, that's the thing. You look at these states that have had the parts of the country that have had the most hostile reaction to Barack Obama. You know, we always talk about right. this, this stretch of, like, Appalachia that extends from eastern Oklahoma up through Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Pennsylvania <laughs> corners of Ohio there. Clinton won West Virginia. Clinton won Kentucky. Clinton won Arkansas. Right. Clinton won Tennessee. He... You know, it makes me wonder. I, I, have politics changed so much that those are completely gone for Democrats now? Or Hillary Clinton, could she win those back? You know, I'm I'm dealing with that in part two of this piece, which I haven't quite finished, which I think is a terrible thing to do two parts and not finish the second part before you put it. But anyway, whatever, I'm breaking my own rules. But I think that there was a lot of talk about that, and some of her very optimistic staffers and boosters were saying, she's going to rewrite the map. She, she could bring back Kentucky. I don't think so. And to be honest, although I, I believe in her integrity, I do. I respect both the Clintons. Nothing that I'm saying is intended to trash the Clintons, because Bill Clinton came out of an era where Democrats had lost five out of six White House races, right? And and really did need to figure out how to become competitive nationally once again. But I read her criminal justice speech last week as two things. What she really thinks, and also a kind of recognition that her optimistic advisors who said she was going to bring back the white working class, she's not listening to them. She understands that she's got to consolidate the Obama coalition, and maybe she'll sort of play it's the market. It's so, it's so funny, and, and I, I go back and forth on whether this is a good thing, how um, American politics have really kind of sorted out and yeah. really shaken out. And so racialized. Like the 1990s, and there were lots of like swing voters, and you could watch an election and one, one week the candidate be up 20 points, next right. week it's only five. People are moving around, they don't know what to make of these people, and, and now the coalitions are so defined. And it's, it is, it's a long, it's a long racial line, it's a long cultural line, it's a long geographic line. Right. But people have sort of figured out, I'm on team red or I'm on team blue, and I, in my own life I think about this, I don't... I mean, I know plenty of, I'm in New York City, so I, most people here are team blue, but when you get out of New York City, I don't meet many people who you would call swing voters. No, I don't I meet either. people who know what side they're on. Right. Either side. And so, really, the issue for both parties now is is turning out their base. And so, you know, Republicans have gone deeper into, you know, the new white backlash politics, and Democrats, Hillary Clinton is kind of at that crossroads. And I think Democrats are, or the Clinton team, they're not writing off the white working class. And I think, you know, she brought up in her criminal justice speech, I thought it was interesting. She brought up the fact that, you know, life expectancy for African-Americans is abysmal or poor African-Americans, but white, life expectancy for white working class women is going down too. I mean, it's like, so she's still going to try to have a class analysis and cross racial lines with that, with, with those policies. But I think she's going to be very, very attentive to keeping together the Obama coalition and, and not making the mistakes that she made in 2008. Well, my, my, along those lines, my theory, I was telling everybody brilliant political analysis by Steve for the last year was because she needs to keep the Obama coalition together, who is her running mate going to be? And I kept saying, it's going to be Deval Patrick, former governor of Massachusetts. Deval Patrick, two weeks ago, took a job with Bain Capital, so I don't, I don't think that's happening that. anymore. I think that takes him out. Why? Why do they? Why? He why said, well, he, You know, I'll tell you the thing about Deval Patrick. For the whole last year on his way out of office, he said, he said what do you want to do right now? And he said, I want to go make money. On that front, is the massive man of his work. Let's check in with Jeff. Somebody had a question uh, like a while ago. Uh, is there one person that you especially enjoy covering or writing about? Oh, well, this is, and by the way, I should say, in our very, very large live studio audience tonight, my former colleague from Roll Call is here. Jen wow. Jackson, and I, I wrote for Roll Call. Uh, back in 2005 and 2006, I covered the House of Representatives. We both covered the House together, and I definitely developed some favorite and least favorite. And it was it was all based on 
you have to, if you want to ask a question, if you're covering the house, you want to ask a, a member a question during you know session. You're in the speaker's lobby, right outside the chamber that everybody sees on TV. You have to submit a card, and you put you know you put your name, your outlet, and you put like the topic on the card. So I mean, my, my thing was real simple. You know, who answers my card, yeah. and who just ignores me the whole time? And I, I'll tell you, it was like we, we actually we had her on the show a few weeks ago, and she was the nicest woman, and, and it changed my view of her because I had a very negative view of Barbara Lee from California for the longest time because I was like old for seventy five. And I would submit the card with her name, and by the end it was just a joke. I know I'm not going to hear from her anything. She would never come out when I submitted the card. And the other one, the other one back then, who was who was very influential at the time, and it was like, you know, you you, you kind of knew you were in if you if you ever if you ever came out when you submitted the card. You never right. came out for me. But this was uh, John Murtha from Pennsylvania. Right. And when I was there, he had just turned on the war. This was the old conservative Democrat from working class. Right. I remember. He had turned on the war, and then he was going to try to run for majority leader. So. And he never came out for me either. But, but it, was, it was funny because I, I just, for all these years, when people would mention Barbara Lee's name, my mind would immediately go back to, oh yeah, she's the, she's the woman who would never return, who would never come out uh, when I request her. But when she's on her show, and she was very, very nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we are, we're, we're all of us a little bit too quick to draw those conclusions from, you know, like the people who talk to us. And oh, I'm a, I'm a petty person. I, I'm, I'm petty. I, I am, you know, I will hold a grudge. I will assume the worst, you know. I am too. We're, we're still getting intermittent comments that people are having a hard time hearing, but the um, numbers have been really good, so people are having a hard time hearing. Maybe they it's like it be, better when they can't hear like us. The, the they like the music. They like my Giants shirt. I really, I agonized. I agonized about. I agonized about what to wear. Are the Giants playing tonight, or are they? Yes, they are playing. I'm gonna have to leave shortly. No, I'm kidding. Madison Bumgarner is pitching. But they are. Who are they playing? Oh my God, I don't even know. I didn't mean to put you on the spot with that. Yeah, that's terrible. I live here now. I know. I know Bumgarner is pitching. I mean, there is a Giants bar. Yeah, Finnerty's. It's not. It's not far. Go oh my it? God! Yeah, I go. I go there a lot. It's fun to watch a, a sporting event at, at a, a place. So we're talking about there's a, there's a bar here. Well, the, this is my favorite thing about one of my favorite things about New York City is there's I mean, there's people from all there's over the country here. There's a bar for every every team, every team has a bar somewhere. We in have city. Badger Badger Bar. I'm, I'm I went to University of Wisconsin. There are Badger Bars. I mean, it's it's just like incredible. I, yeah. Um, so yeah, the the shout out to Finnerty's. So Finnerty's at Finnerty's NYC, the San Francisco bar, yeah, San Francisco Giants bar. No, it's it's great. I mean, my thing too is like my, I, I'm a Massachusetts native, and I yeah, look out. Ultimately, if the Red Sox win the World Series, I'm going to cheer for them. If they're playing the Yankees, just to antagonize the New Yorkers. But I, I was never much. I, I wasn't always. I, my teams are always outside of New England. Outside, I have like non-traditional rooting interest. So I love going to these bars in New York, and and I kind of like assume the role, the identity of somebody from Kansas City. Right. And I put my, you know, I'm like a geography geek, so it's like, it, it, it's like a test. Like I'm, You learn so much. You but do. I, and I can like talk people up there and, and the, you know, make them think I'm actually from, you know, oh yeah, I'm from Jeff City, you know, and I <laughs> try to like, try to you know, drop a few like local references and stuff. It's completely disingenuous, but I have fun with it. Um, what, what else do we have? Um, I mean... Well, now they're all saying that they can hear, so that's been the last... They can time. hear. Yeah, okay, saying, good. Yeah, a lot of people are saying they can hear fine, so I guess I, I gave attention to people, but I just want to make sure we... I want you to give voice to the voiceless. It's okay. Yeah. Um, you get these questions a lot. This probably isn't really your issue. People talking about the drug war, about legalizing marijuana. It's like a wedge issue. Is that an issue that is like become big enough that it's going to start the world on the Democrats' area. I'm skeptical, which is why I'm like this. But I feel like you, you get this question a lot when I'm on the phone and people are talking about it tonight. I mean, I'm on the record. I, I think the marijuana laws are uh, uh, not tough enough and need to be much stricter. No, I don't know. What's your, what's your take on it? Oh, I, sh I think it should be legalized. I, I You know, I, I really do. I think we know the drug war has been a huge mistake, and you know if we taxed it and put the money toward treatment, we could deal with the casualties. And you know I think there's just a lot of hypocrisy. And as we go into this alleged new interest in ending the the era of mar of mass incarceration, I think that's going to be one of the 
potential solutions, except I don't really expect people to go for it. Like, I think we're still, you know, like... But I, isn't, isn't like the Colorado-Washington thing feels like it's going to speed things up? Because they're, they're having a pretty... It seems like they're having a pretty, a pretty smooth, smooth transition. Right? I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, uh, except I, I mean, for, that, except me, for was... Maureen Dowd, there haven't been any cases of, like, marijuana poisoning or, gonna, you know... Uh, uh, Joan, I'm going to... Oh, no. That's oh. a great quote. No, you know, I mean, okay. No, I, I don't care. Yeah, it's fine. I really don't care. Um, but no, but you know, I, I think of that, like, the, the parallel I would think of a little bit is the gay marriage thing, because I, I mean, I remember when it happened in Massachusetts in, in yeah. 2004, and of course this was, it was a traumatic shock to the political system, and the George W. Bush successfully ran the campaign against it, but I also, I was like... Already then, you can see it. Like, play this out ten years. Right. You know this is... Within ten years, you'll be able to look at Massachusetts and say, it didn't ruin the state, it didn't ruin... Mar- it's it's okay. Right. I think mean, mean, it happened faster than I thought it would happen. But then once one state did it, I was like... You have you know this... They're you, gonna, they, you, know you have a massive gonna, social experiment. And, right. you know, you can learn from it. And people who are smart will build on what it what is learned and it'll spread so i so i, I kind of feel the yeah. same i feel the same thing is going to happen here where it's like it, 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 the, the, you know the world doesn't fall apart in colorado and washington and then you know it's safe for other states and it becomes you know it becomes the the, the question shifts from should we do it to why shouldn't we why do shouldn't it? Why we, are we do it doing it and, and that's why what are the gay we thing turned to a few years right ago, and know? why are we foregoing you know the tax benefits of doing it and you know california is going to be an interesting case you know Everything about California is interesting. Yeah, it's the, uh, you got out of there just before the drought set in, I guess, huh? The drought really makes me sad and worried, you know, I, the drought, you can really see and feel the drought, you know, and as I was leaving, I mean, I spent a lot of last year there in California, and I'd never seen, you know, the, the, the time of year, February and March, when it's supposed to be beautiful green, it never got that green, and you just kind of felt in the air that it was parched you know something was fundamentally changed about it and it's just gotten worse since then so you know it's it's scary to me let's uh let's go to Jeff um you've been asked this before uh, what's your favorite show to appear on I don't know if you want to answer that I, I have a question and I might be incorrect about this but this is a Less, less uh, on topic, but am I right that Joan hired you into Salon? Oh. You have a long history together. Is there any... This is true. Any, like, stories and about this is, Steve, Joan would like to tell, or anything about you? Well, this is, this is where the, this is where, uh, the booze kicks in, because I'm going to make a confession here Whoa. that I've never made... I might need another drink. Can we... I do, too, because I'm out of... Mo- oh, is that Bud Light foot? Yeah. Can I have that lukewarm room temperature Bud Light that I got two hours ago. Here we go. I need another drink because true confessions time. Wow. Um, however, you may know this. I'm curious if you know this or not. So the story is five years ago, uh, Joan hired me to be the, uh, the politics editor at Salon in early 2010. Uh, I got the job in part because I had been on hardball. I was, I was down in D.C., um, we appeared in the same segment, and about two days later, um, I was on a bus going up to Massachusetts for the Scott Brown, uh, Martha Coakley election, and right. I got an email from you saying, um, enjoy being on the show with you, we have this opening, would you be interested, would you know anybody else? And I was like, now, what I don't know if you knew or not, and I will now share with you, is I had been laid off from the Observer a month before that. Did you know that? I think, yes, I did know that. Oh, okay. I did know that. <laughs> Because I was, you know, the, the stress—that was the most stressful time in my professional life. Because I had—I'd uh, been the New York Observer for a few years, and um, I did know that I, I was—I was protected there by the, poli- the, the guy who was the politics editor there, and the, the guy who was like the executive editor, and and the guy who was the overall editor, Peter Kaplan, and they all left or were pushed out right. um, in the course of about six months, and then a new guy came in. And I'd never, he calls me in his office and he's doing, he's just meeting everybody. And this is overconfident, not doing his homework, Steve goes into the office and the guy's like, he knows I write a daily column. You know, he's like, what is, what is your, uh, what is your beat? And, and my answer to him was like, yeah, I'm not really sure. And, and guess what? So about three weeks later, I get like a, you know, come in early tomorrow morning. So I know I'm what's not really here. sure what your job is. But so what I, what I told him, I was, and I was, and this is like, this is the height of the, you know, 2009, the economy's terrible, the media's changing, everything's terrible. I have like I'm living paycheck to paycheck because the observer didn't exactly pay any money. Right. Um, and so I'm like I, I told them like, can I write a 
column for you once a week. I don't want pay. I just want exposure while I look for another job. And so that's what I was doing. And that was what I did with that column was I would write a weekly column. I would send it to the producers at Hardball and everything because I was like, if I can get on, on the air, it'll keep me visible and then something like this will happen where somebody said, but I always thought, I, I didn't know if I kept that a secret from you or not. Because I was trying to. I don't to. know how I knew, but I did know. And also, I mean, my perception was you also had your a personal blog. Right? Which, which I started when I got laid right. off. Right. And so I was reading your personal blog, and you basically sent yourself to Massachusetts to cover this amazing right. Senate race that, you know, Democrats weren't expected to lose, but you were kind of calling it as, you know, increasingly worrisome. And I was very impressed by that, you know, that you would go and, you know, send yourself there. So, yeah, no... Steve, this is, you're going to have to work a lot harder to come up with something <laughs> I don't I was, know. Here I was thinking you were going to be shocked. You were going to just, what? you know, but... I'm going to rescind that. So what was... But so uh, we did... We were co-workers and so now, of course, you were in San Francisco at the time. So we right. were in the office day to day together. We would be on the, the daily 3 p.m. call together or whatever. Right. But uh, no, I was I did I, I was at Salon for basically for three years. Uh, I you know it's it's a, I, I had a great experience. Like I said, I you know I got to work with you, somebody I had seen on TV for a long time, and that, that was just really cool. Like getting that email from you and like there was something about seeing the name Joan Walsh pop up in my inbox. It wasn't just that I needed a job; it was also like, whoa, this is like somebody. And I'm like, you know, I was like. Well, I accept, like somebody actually noticed me. It was it was really kind of cool. Um, and then like I, said, I got to work with uh, with Sarah Heppola on personal essays, and that was um, um, I had a really good time there. You know? Yeah. Well, you were wonderful. I mean, it, it, it was a fun time. But you were somebody who was obviously capable of so much and thinking independently. And and you know, the hardball thing was funny too because. You get a feeling from people. You know, we were in different studios. You've got a little earpiece in your ear, and you have sometimes you have a terrible rhythm with another guest, or they're talking over you, or whatever. Or it's like Dick Army, and you know, there's a lack of chemistry. But <laughs> you with know you, much chemistry with Dick not, Army? no, not too much. You might have heard that. But like, I felt like you and I were having a conversation with Chris Matthews who plays an interesting role in that but you know that I that I could get a sense from you as somebody who was listening to me and actually we were shaping each other's answers by what we said as opposed to so much of cable television let's be honest is people coming in with their pre-ordained talking points you know and you know this as a host but also as a guest there's rare it's very it's sadly rare that you have a sense of people actually having a conversation and thinking out loud together you know which I think you you do partly. And, and this is why I started Meerkat Mondays yes and <laughs> definitely mo- more than any other time on Meerkat Mondays but also you do have the time on Saturday mornings and it's your inclination to you know sort of foster that kind of here's the, here's the here's the little thing about the weekend show that um, and this was a, a surprise to me and it might be a surprise to viewers too so yeah we have two hours in the weekends and a, a couple episodes in and Casey our producer she's the one she's in my ear every week so she, she, she knows this it started to occur to me we'd be in these segments we'd get a conversation would get going and she, uh, 30 seconds you're late you're late get out get out, get out. and I, finally I'm like I'm like it really feels to me like these segments are, are too short. What is like what is going on here? So it turns out that at MSNBC, if you're on weekdays, like in primetime, Hardball, Rachel Maddow, they have 45 minutes of airtime an hour, 15 minutes of commercials. Right. On weekends, we have 41 minutes of airtime. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't and know I, that. No, and I was, and it's one of those things, and I was like, and I was shocked because I said, I'm like, well, they, they could make a lot more money on commercials in primetime than they could... You know, I mean, right. you know, weekend at 8.30 a.m., I mean, we got a great audience, but I mean, it's not, it's not exactly, it's 5.30 on the West Coast, you know? Right. Um, but we get four minutes less, and it's, it's in six segments. I think it's, I think it's, it's getting way too technical, but I think, I think it's five segments on the, is it five segments? Yeah. So they get, they get more time spread out only five segments. We get less time spread over six segments. So it is a constant frustration of mine on that show where, like, I'll read my little introduction, you know, a minute and a half, I'll play the sound, and I got four people sitting in front of me, and then I go to them, and I'm like, Joe, what do you think of that? And then the first thing I hear, if we go to you, is Casey over here is in my ear saying, two Oh, minutes. Casey. Two minutes. And then, and my favorite thing is like, and this won't translate well on the podcast, but like, we'll have guests, 
and I, and I immediately become conscious of it. I'm like, okay, I just went to my first guest. I have two minutes. I got three other people sitting here. So my 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 attempt to be passive aggressive, uh, passive aggressively prodding the people to stop and let the other person is to nod my head. But what I realized after a few shows is, you nod your head, they think you're saying, "Go on, this is go on, Keep yeah." So I need like a signal, sort of like slitting my throat or something. That's like. You know, wrap it up. We got three more to get. So I'm still two years. I'm still working yeah. on that part. I really, I, I didn't know about all that, Casey. But, but luckily, I don't. You don't, you don't feel it. But, yeah, it could be longer. I mean, that's why we have Meerkat Mondays, obviously. This is, I mean, you have 60 uninterrupted. I'm not cutting you off. Right. But what happened? Oh, I t- I'm, not going to I'm so accustomed. Casey. What? What is Casey saying? <laughs> Casey was just saying. Casey's I'm not trying off. to. And I can hear I can hear a butt coming. Let, let's see what the, let's check in with Jeff. So my friend uh, Jimmy Gatlin right here has covered Congress for over a decade, right? Over a decade, yeah. Knows that tomorrow's the special elections in Mike Grimsey. Um, any thoughts on that? The other special elections that might be coming up. Does that pretend anything for 2016? Um, one of the viewers asked the thoughts on Jameis Winston as the number one draft pick. These are all Steve questions. I have yeah, no but the J- well, the Jameis, so Jameis Winston, the Buccaneers, you know, the Florida State quarterback, the I Buccaneers know. picked him. They put a, a provision in. Apparently, he can't play. He can't play baseball. But I mean, Jameis has a very, I, I you know, that's, that makes me, you know, Jameis. It's like watching that, that bo- the boxing match on Saturday. Now, I'm not a big boxing fan, but yeah. you have Mayweather and Pacquiao, and Mayweather. Not a very good person, right? And you know, in Jameis, I, 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 I don't know how I feel about somebody like him. I know how I feel, and, and, right? But anyway, so it's one of those. Like that season last year too was the other thing. His last season at Florida State was not nearly as good as Oregon. Well, they and they got flattened in the playoffs by Oregon, and that was very fun to, to watch happen. But um, but yeah, to see somebody like that get celebrated, and you, and you want and there's a lot of questions around him, but. Uh, and it's like watching Mayweather win that fight. Uh, right. You, know, you, just, you just don't want. Uh, but anyway, that's that's my take on that. What was the other? What was the other question? Uh, Michael. Michael. Uh, oh, so tomorrow. The the, uh, we say tomorrow for the podcast people. It already happened. And the, the Republican, who's the district, Michael Grimm, the uh, former the disgrace, yeah, uh, congressman from Staten Island, uh, the race to fill his seat to, is, is this week. The Republican looks like he's going to win. The Democrats didn't put up much of a fight here. This is the Republican who, the national significance is this is the Republican. He's the district attorney, which means he is the one who didn't uh, prosecute anybody in the death of Eric Garner. And there was some talk when his campaign began that that would, uh, that would be an issue, that'd be a negative issue. I, the, the most, I haven't paid close attention to all of it, but the most striking thing about this race that I saw was the big newspaper on Staten Island, which is I always thought it was the Staten Island Advance. Apparently, if you're on Staten Island, you call the Staten Island Advance. Advance. Okay. So anyway, so right. that newspaper endorsed the Republican, the district attorney, and in their editorial endorsement, they had a line that said they, they addressed the uh, the Eric Garner situation, and they said something to the effect of all that most people really took away from that controversy was that you shouldn't resist arrest. That's and, what I took away from it, certainly. So yeah. That, well, but that's you know that's the bifurcated. We were talking about the white backlash and like neo white backlash politics is you know in New York we think of New York as a blue state and a pioneer in progressive politics, but New York is also was also you know arguably ground zero of the white backlash in the '60s. And you know there's I come from a very working class Irish Catholic family, and this was a big divide for for my family on Facebook. We don't talk politics on, on Facebook, but I started getting pushback on my Eric Garner posts, and the the line is, and and I've seen the you know I've seen this line all the way through Freddie Gray. Don't run away. Don't resist. Do what they say. And you know, to me, that's not the essence of policing. But to a lot of white people and people on Staten Island, it is. Don't talk back. Don't resist, and you'll be fine. You will not die if you. It's it's, it's interesting to hear you say that too. But it's about like your family and, and, and about the divisions you know within your family. And I, it's something I, I've, I you know I've looked, I've noticed two, a couple of things in my family because my um, two different sides here. But on my my dad's side is a family that you, you call them 
a generation ago, Nixon Republicans. They were sort of my, my dad's father ran a pharmacy, you know, and his wife worked with him for all these years. They, they ran the local pharmacy in a you know mid-sized town in Connecticut, and they were you know they were they were what uh, what was Nixon's line? And my my uh, Pat has a fine Republican cloth, cloth coat. coat. That's what my that's what my grandmother was. She was like right. Pat. She was and right. my grandmother loved Pat Nixon, as a matter of fact. So, but and so my dad and his brother and, and, and they represented sort of that type of Republicanism. They've completely, in the last 20 years, they've completely changed. And they've just sort of had this, their, their politics haven't changed as much as their perception of what the Republican Party is right. has changed. And they represent that sort of Northeast, you know, they used to vote for Bill Weld or whoever. Right. And and now they look at them like, that's not, the, the Republican Party is Southern, it's evangelical, it's, it's all these things that we're not. It's not so, our values, right. I get that, but then on my mom's side, my mom's side is more, it's, it's, it's from Waterbury, Connecticut, it's, it's this blue-collar Catholic, and it, yeah, you get much more of the, you know. They have not. They have not transitioned back to the Democratic Party. They have not. They have not warmed to, you know, either Bill Clinton. I mean, definitely not Barack Obama, but not Bill Clinton either. They were not part of whatever the whatever part of the white working class came back to the Democrats under Clinton, and there was a sizable shift. They, yeah, the the northeastern white ethnics, you know. The Richard Nixon Northern Strategy people did not come back. That you know that we think of Kevin Phillips, Nixon's advisor, as pioneering the Southern Strategy, but he really pioneered the Northern Strategy. He saw that white ethnics and white Catholic ethnics in particular were really, really available to an appeal based on their fear of disorder, their fear of crime, their sense that things were getting out of control, and well, which is, which racism. Is, and, and this week is such an interesting week to be talking about that, because it's about Nixon and that, because it was Nixon who put on the ticket Spiro Agnew, right. and the reason he put Spiro Agnew on the ticket was because Spiro Agnew, as the governor of Maryland, had been the tough guy in the Baltimore in, riots right. of 1968, and that's what Nixon wanted that on his ticket, to, to represent to that sort of the Spiro Agnew type of right. voter, you know, and, and in Baltimore and in New York and on Staten Island. Uh, let's see, Jeff, what else we got here? We've got a few minutes left. Let's, let's yeah, finish strong. Up for, you're up for a lot And the most recent question, which is kind of interesting, probably hard to answer, is whether you think of uh, punches because you don't want to affect any potential guests or politicians. That's probably. I, I, I always say, as I relentlessly promote the show on Twitter, I'll answer any questions. And the question is, do I pull punches to, to try to get uh, to try to get guests on, on the show? And the answer is, is, is obviously no. And as the greatest vice president in American history, Dick Cheney, would say, I, I have honor. I have it now. <laughs> uh, I mean, no. In all honesty, I probably have. I, I, there are probably occasions when I've when I've, I've uh, um, it's not that I was. There are probably occasions where you, 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 you think to yourself, you know what, it's better if I don't fight this battle today because I've got, I, I try not to, but I'm only human, and that's, that's probably what happens. Right. Well, I mean, you know, people you know, have a hard time with Chuck Todd saying, you know, something similar, and, and the whole notion of access, but if you want to have a space that has any kind of debate at all, you do have to maintain, I mean, access journalism is disgusting when it comes to, you know, completely flattering and, and catering to your sources, but if you're trying to host a show where Republicans periodically come on and mix it up with Democrats, you have to think about... Yeah, you know, it's, more, it's, it's not like, it's not that I, I wouldn't withhold a story or withhold reporting. Right. No, it's, I, it's, a, it's more a question of something that we... The gratuitous comment, the, right. you know, I, I, I will rein in like where I might make a comment that I think oh, that could come off as really snarky and, and just like piling on or something like that. That's the stuff that I that right. I resist. Where like maybe just in general there'll be occasion if, if I'm just talking with friends or something, I will say it or you know that's the sort of thing I try to. Maybe right. that's just being polite or civil. I don't know. Maybe that's not being a. A coward. No, I, I think there's. I, am a co- I don't know. Well, anyway. I don't think you're a coward, but I think there's something to be said for being polite and civil. I also think that you know we are again sort of in our in our silos, and Fox News creates a world in which Republicans are are coddled, and you know the equating MSNBC with Fox is totally unfair, but the reality of political TV today is that people can go to Fox, Republicans can go to Fox and be cared for and 
often and and also not just be cared for, but reach their demographic. You know, and very few people think it's worth their time to reach the MSNBC demographic. But that's a mistake if they feel that way. Obviously, <laughs> they're totally they wrong. Well, so we're, we're, we're kind of coming to a, a close here, and we're hopefully this will become a podcast in a few days. Um, but I, I, well, let's just turn to our, our sort of our, our final uh, our, our our final thoughts. Um, did you enjoy the experience of being on on Meerkat Monday? I did. It's totally fun. Yeah, it's great. I, this is the exit interview. Uh, uh, how can I improve the show for future guests? Um, make sure that drinks continue to come because I can't get up we, and get my drink. Well, so we had so. we had Alex Witt on our last episode, and Alex Witt ordered from the table. That's what you got. You got to turn around and shout it out. That's what she. Yeah, did. I'm so. She polite. got results. She got she yeah. got results. Um, well, Joan. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, it's been thanks for having me. It's been me. really fun. And it's been really fun. We will have you back hopefully sometime. I hope so too. All right. Well, thank you too for tuning in. I'm Meerkat. It looks like the Periscope feed went dead. That's a big loss. And uh, and then po- on the podcast, uh, if you if you stay tuned and you enjoy this, check us out next Monday night on Meerkat. Join the conversation then. Then watch us on Podium. Listen to us on. Oh, I drink too much. Have a great night. <laughs> <laughs>